All right, welcome everyone to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. On the show with me today, we have a special guest, Dr. Siley Bomberi. Uh, Dr. Siley is a trained doctor, dentist, uh, who has ample experience treating patients individually and uh, on population levels. She's an active researcher in the medical devices arena and in methods for improving patient outcomes treatment experiences, and overall quality of living. She's also a trained public health professional from Harvard University, and she is currently helping uh, build health startups and designing efficient and safe use of technology in healthcare whilst advocating the right methods of implementing it. Uh, so Dr. Siley, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Shelby. So what, uh, what originally got you uh, wanting to go into healthcare? Um, was was that always kind of your plan, or how did you stumble into the healthcare field? Yeah, I I think it's it's always been uh, a part of my plan. Uh, I have uh, grown up uh, in in India alongside a lot of uh, my folks who have been in the medical industry, and just the amount of impact you can uh, bring to people's lives, you know, doing that sort of work. Uh, so I kind of always knew that's where I'm going to be. Yeah. Awesome. And let's talk about, so the specific kind of area of, of medicine. So can you talk to me about like what, uh, what your normal duties um, entail as far as uh, like what, what role in the healthcare system do you sort of play? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I mainly like focusing on uh, looking at areas how, where we can improve patient health outcomes. And now it really sounds simple when you say it, but uh, just the fact how complex it is, is what ignites me and what drives me to actually do it. So, um, you know, there could be two patients who, uh, who have ev everything similar, but they could react to a certain disease condition or a certain treatment in very different ways. Um, and, and, you know, traditional, traditional healthcare services that we offer uh, in office and hospitals, uh, do not account for a lot of that. So there are these factors where which you can influence, you know, and uh, to improve the patient health outcomes. Some of them, of course, uh, you can't really do much about it. You can't, you know, change patient genetics, but there are so many other factors like, you know, accessibility to healthcare services or uh, improving patients' uh, mental health so that the patient is much more receptive to uh, to the things around them or the treatments that they're receiving. So, um, yeah, so that's that's the area that I work into. Um, and I uh, specifically try to uh, look into digital health uh, services to improve these health outcomes for the patients. So uh, if I'm working on any specific health device, uh, what can we do from our side to optimize the benefits of this for the patients, to optimize the ease of use for them? Uh, and add with with as much comfort as possible, as much uh, lower a cost as possible. So yeah, that's what I did. Can you talk to me about uh, like where you see sort of the mental health care field um, where it's at today? Do you think that the the system in place is working? Do you think there's are there any specific areas like if you had the power to just make some changes, would you anything that you would change? 
Yeah, uh, so I do think there, there's there's a lot of you know resources, a lot of treatments, a lot of great professionals available in this field. But what's really lacking is uh, you know the initiative from the public to uh, to go out there and utilize these resources. There's so much of stigma related to mental health in our society, and, and so many uh, misconceptions related to it that. Uh, the complete utilization of whatever resources are available at the moment in itself is, is you know, we're really far, you know, far behind in that. Uh, that is one area where uh, I would really see, uh, like to see a little more uh, initiative from people. And um, I think it's, it's up to us as healthcare professional or healthcare companies, hospitals, uh, organizations to uh, bring out as much as, as many facts as possible so people learn more and people understand that it's 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 as you know as simple as going and getting uh treatments for your physical ailments right so it's it's pretty similar to that and uh yeah that's that's one area i really would like to see some development in okay um what what do you uh think of in terms of you mentioned sort of like digital health uh how how does that play a role in mental health care because I've seen, you know, some of the apps coming out recently, uh, you know, where it's like you can do therapy through the apps uh, and also sort of like get uh, medications, psychiatric medications prescribed through these apps. So what, what's your what's your opinion on that? The whole sort of mental health care field, their use of digital uh, technology. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a very good question, because, uh, you know, in, in my work, I realized that uh, of course, there are surgical areas where you will have to be in office or in hospital for the treatments, but uh, for treatments related to mental health or for therapy sessions, et cetera, um, digital health is, is an amazing platform. You know, uh, There are so many studies that have shown uh, that um, therapy sessions online versus in office or in persons are equally effective, are equally good. Patient satisfaction levels have been equally good. And uh, in, in the current situation, of course, with COVID, you know, uh, I, right now we've, we've started getting out a little bit. Right now we can go uh, uh, into the doctor's office and uh, have sessions, but until a couple of months back, it was it had become totally impossible, right? So, um, and uh, again, and as, for, as unfortunate as this whole situation was, uh, it did actually show, um, to patients as well as to healthcare professionals, how digital health, telemedicine, teleconsultations, how well they can be utilized for, uh, you know, therapy or mental health counseling or for, for a lot of other treatments for that matter, you know. Uh, so it is really, uh, it is really helpful. There are so many apps, like you mentioned, that, that really help you, uh, you know, with your mental health. There are apps that help you with better sleep, apps that help you connect with people. And all these things, you know, help you get a better mental health, right? So what, uh, as far as what should we expect going forward within um, like mental health and like, do you see any new technologies or new digital technologies that are going to start kind of coming, uh, coming up anytime uh, soon? Yeah, so there's actually a lot of work going on in, in this arena, actually. So uh, of course, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, everything, everything is geared towards uh, you know 
helping patients uh, for better mental health. Uh, and, and also a virtual reality, a lot of, lot of apps, a lot of uh, uh, therapists have started uh, doing these trial sessions using you know, your VR devices where uh, it, it gives you an even better feel of having like an in-person consultation you know, uh, with virtual reality. So uh, VR technologies have really uh, been getting better at this. Then there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, gamifying of, uh, you know, a lot of health apps that use this for mental health. Uh, and, and of course the technology gets better with time. It keeps getting better, but I think, uh, you know, even taking a step back and looking at what we have at the moment is, even if we can, uh, improve on utilizing that, that itself is going to be really, really great. And, and of course, uh, going forward, the newer technologies that are coming up, the ones that I just told you about, uh, they will be much more beneficial as well. Awesome. And in terms of, you, you briefly mentioned with COVID and what's, what's going on now, how, uh, how have you seen that just change maybe the mental health care field or people's perception of mental health. It seems like an issue that's, that's definitely, it was already seemed like it was, it was becoming less sort of taboo to talk about mental health already, but COVID seems to have really brought that, brought that to, to the public's attention. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. So um, of course, you know, mental health issues have been really, really common even before COVID. But like you said, not many people want to come out and talk about that. Not many people want to go seek help. But what COVID did is uh, it put us all through this traumatic event of our lives. And um, now maybe more than ever, we're you know facing stress and anxiety. And so I think, uh, of course, it, it is an unfortunate situation. But more people are are coming out and talking about it you know are discussing that hey this is this is a common situation that all of us are going through and it is bound to uh, cause these mental health issues it's it's bound to have a toll on us so more and more people are coming out and talking about it uh, which makes it much easier to uh, you know for others to seek help ones who who haven't been uh, very, very comfortable doing that in the past. So it's much more easier. It has also led to uh, a lot more dialogue within the families and within your own social circles, you know. Uh, previously, if, if, if someone's suffering from mental health issues, I, I don't think a lot of them uh, discuss this with their families, let alone with their, you know, friend circle or social circle. Now with COVID uh, being, being like a universal scenario, people are discussing these things. And I think like discussing uh, mental health issues is a very good first step towards seeking help or uh, even self-help in, in a lot of situations. Uh, the other things being, uh, you know, health organizations, WSO, CDC, and even your local authorities are coming out and saying that, um, yes, because of COVID, uh, there is this, uh, these health issues, but uh, a lot of people are suffering through mental health problems and uh, they themselves are talking about these things. They are uh, providing resources, providing helplines for people to reach out. So just in case you did not have the resources before, now people have, the, have them. Uh, so it's easier to seek mental health. 
And the other thing is, uh, you know, COVID has kind of um, led us all to to think what what are you know it's like an existential thing right we we are, we've all started thinking what are the important things for us in life you know we've all been running in our lives day in and day out before this and this huge event happened so now people are taking a step back and thinking what do we need to live a healthy life you know so if 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 you were a little uncomfortable getting mental health uh, help for that before now you're a little more comfortable if you did not give it that much importance before, now you think it is important. So, yeah. How do you see uh, AI and machine learning impacts like mental health or just the healthcare field in general? Can you like can you give me any specific examples of some of the utilizations of those technologies? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, AI and machine learning, you know. Uh, they would use a lot of healthcare data, you know, de-identified data to uh, to come up with uh, patient help tools like, you know, uh, chatbots. You have a lot of websites where uh, patients can go on these websites, uh, try to input whatever issues they're facing and and get some help related to that. Of course, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of controversy and a lot of debate about how much to trust these things. So, Again, let's say, let's not take it as a diagnosis, but even just for for you to um, understand what is the next step you should be taking, these these chatbots are really helpful. And uh, AI AI is what actually makes these sort of chatbots happen. You know? um, again, your uh, your medical devices that work, right? Your your wearable devices that you're using, a lot of these uh, use AI technology. And uh, all of us know how much wearable devices have made our lives easier and better, right? Yeah, um, and and for for mental health, of course, you know, again, all these things together uh, will will help you with mental health. So, uh, if if if, if uh, you're looking for help regarding your your sleep or counseling sessions, it's uh, it's helpful for that, right? Yeah. Okay. What a what do you see um, as far as um, in terms of like personalized healthcare is something that is is talked about a lot now? How do you how do you see that uh, playing out? Uh, I guess I'm not sure if uh, you looked at like just the different types of of healthcare too, as far as like with functional medicine versus more like traditional Western medicine. Uh, and I was just wondering kind of your perspective on all that. Um, could you elaborate a little more on that question? Yeah. So as far as like with individualized healthcare, I'm wondering, you know, how, uh, if you see that it's, it's, if there's aspects of it that are working currently, if there, if it's a system that is, is broken or just, and, and sort of the different, um, the different aspects of like the different approaches to personalized health sometimes being so radically different in this country. I was just wondering kind of on your take on all that. Yeah, yeah. So it is actually a very good question. And uh, again, it, it's part of the the research studies that I do. I do uh, you know, looking at how health outcomes for patients can differ and how you can fine tune treatments or care for patients 
depending on their personal situations or their personal case. And yes, you're, you're right. Personalized healthcare has been uh, really an overlooked part in, in Western medicine as well as you know, uh, non-Western traditional medicine. Uh, and and that's, that's where you know, um, I think a lot of work is needed. So there, there is, again, there is some work going on in, in this area, how we can personalize healthcare for patients in order to make it much better for them rather than having a one size fits all, you know, but uh, still not enough work going into that, still not enough research into that, and even less application to our day-to-day -day healthcare services that happen, you know. What are some of the other, uh, you talked about leading like research studies, what are some of the other research questions that you've been attempting to answer or to, to take a look at? Yeah, um, so one, one area that really interests me personally is how we can reduce healthcare cost. Especially here in the US, healthcare costs are really high. And uh, you know, if you see a lot of other healthcare systems all over the world, uh, you know, definitely US is US healthcare system is amazing. But there are many other systems which which work fair, fairly well, equally well, or better, uh, with uh, costs that are really lower. And I think you know, the cost is a major factor that reduces access to healthcare over here in the US. Uh, and it directly uh, affects the health outcomes of, uh, you know, underprivileged class. You, know, you will see health outcomes are so different for um, American Indians, for uh, Latino or African Americans as compared to white Americans. So, and and, and all all these things. Of course, it's a, it's a multifactorial thing, but cost plays a huge huge role in that. And uh, that's part of uh, part of what I like to study: how we can utilize our um, our services whether it's our whether it's a medical device or whether it's just the overall digital health space to reduce uh, the healthcare cost whether it's uh, directly by providing services to the patients or by helping out physicians or hospitals in uh, making the the operations and the procedure more lean yeah are there any specific reasons that uh, the US has like sort of a more inefficient uh, allocation of the, the dollars in healthcare? Is there a reason or, or a specific model that other countries are using that, uh, that are more efficient than what we do? I, I wouldn't say so. You know, again, it's a, it's, it's a multifactorial thing. And uh, definitely we have a lot of, um, you know, uh, really good uh, medical services here in the U.S. and uh, so it, it's again uh, directly comparing the cost of this to any specific country would be comparing apples to oranges. Um, but I do think you know um, the factors that would probably matter is uh, our our uh, the, our payer cost, insurance cost, uh, then. Uh, the cost allotments for uh, specific health treatments, uh, specific procedures, and a lot of other factors, you know, um, pharmaceutical companies, pharmaceutical cost. Yeah, so there are, these again are multifactorial and there isn't any specific reasons. And we are trying to study how we can hone into the low hanging fruits 
you know, and, and improve whatever is possible from our side for, for better uh, benefits to the patient. How about in terms of uh, the health startups that you've been working with? Uh, I uh, read when I introduced you that you were helping to build um, health startups with uh, and implementing certain technologies in healthcare. Can you talk to me about um, some different startups that you've been working with? Um, okay, so I, I, I wouldn't be able to go into specifics uh, of the companies that, uh, that I help out. But what I generally try to do is, uh, again, look at whatever their basic proposed product is and how we can accentuate the services that the product provides at, at a lower cost and in the most uh, lean resources or the minimum resources possible, right? So, um, so like if you're working, uh, working to uh, integrate a, a, a health product in a rural area in, in a developing country, you, uh, you have to kind of rationalize how much use of technology you want to make at that point, because in a rural area, you might not have internet access or, you know, the cost of internet access or mobile services might be a little expensive. So how you can tweak your tweak that product to be used for uh, that patient group, that population group, and for that geography is uh, what I help uh, startups do. And how we can uh, better strategize the care, the treatments that are provided to these patients. Yeah, that's, that's where I try to help them. And what are, what are some of the biggest challenges that rural areas, like which lack some of that technology that you're talking about, that they face because it seems like that uh, most of you know the healthcare that we see, I mean, greatly relies on all sorts of technology. So, what 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 are the biggest challenges in those rural areas? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, this this may not apply entirely to the U.S. because uh, I think uh, access to technology, as compared to a lot of other uh, geographies, is much better, even in the rural areas here in the U.S. Uh, of course, it varies location to location. But uh, what happens in rural areas is the access to technology, of course, is really lower. But also, access to physical health services, you know, like phys physical infrastructure, I mean, is really low. So a lot of times, you may not have uh, tertiary care centers within like the next twenty or thirty miles, you know, from where you're living. Um, added to that, the uh, the difficulty in transportation, the uh, again the lack of technology, just makes it difficult to access basic healthcare services sometimes. And if you want to uh, uh, integrate a healthcare product, a new product in in that sort of condition, then you really really have to uh, fine tune it to to those needs, right? Great. Well, Dr. Saidli, uh, anything that we haven't covered yet um, in terms of just this whole discussion with uh, mental health care, digital health, uh, mm -hmm. anything that uh, you think is important for the listeners or viewers that we haven't yet discussed? Yeah, I, uh, I, I think we've, we've touched on a lot of points. Uh, the only thing I'd like to say is uh, with, with the whole COVID-19 situation, uh, how you can maintain a, a better mental health is, you know, um, 
try to be more socially active, of course, uh, with social distancing, but not like we would have traditionally done, but, um, you know, through phone calls or video chats or something, or uh, with uh, spending time with your family, uh, having uh, fireside chats with your family, so being socially active that way, uh, not in the traditional way, but in the, in the COVID way, then, um, you know, uh, trying to have like a healthy lifestyle, whether it's in terms of exercising or, you know, having having some good activities or um, getting better sleep or having a good diet you know um, also try to uh, not you know uh, not get caught into um, substance abuse or alcohol or smoking because what happens is like you know we're a lot of people are alone at this point it's a stressful situation so uh, there's there's a rise in smoking, alcohol, try, try not that, try that that doesn't happen as much. Um, and uh, just look at it, you know, in a positive way. It looks like we are seeing the you know, light at the end of the tunnel. So yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's all I can say. Well, Dr. Saili, uh, if people want to find out more about your work, where would you direct them to or if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, uh, people can reach me at uh, on LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, I'm not on Instagram, so that that that's not possible. But yeah, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. LinkedIn is the best resource to reach me, uh, and if anyone needs to talk about anything, yeah. And if you guys enjoyed this show, um, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel for Roscoe's Wetsuit, and you can also find audio versions of the podcast on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else that audio podcasts are available. Uh, Dr. Saili, I wanted to, again, thank you a lot for coming on the show today, and I really enjoyed our discussion. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Louie.